So I think that part of just sharing what you're doing, if it's unique, I think is really important. Even if you think it's not unique, sharing what you're doing with your family and friends who just don't have that same frame of reference, I think is really important. They can understand where you're coming from, understand what you're doing. And I think it's really, really powerful. That's, that's fantastic. Hi, I'm Shannon Huffman Polson, and I want to welcome you to Facing the Wind, season two of the Grit Factor podcast. We are going to have a great time this season with episodes bringing you experts from around the world in leadership, grit, resilience, purpose, and storytelling. I've listened to you over this last year, your comments, your responses, your conversations, your questions, and this really is a season that has been designed with you in mind. This really is a season that's been designed to answer those questions that you need to know in order to fulfill that mission that I know we have in common, that mission of the Grit Institute, which is building courageous leaders for a better world. We're doing that through our courses online at thegritinstitute.com, through our books, and of course, through this podcast. And if you have a question you'd like to have included, please head over to thegritinstitute.com forward slash podcasts and leave your voicemail. It may be included on a future episode. To attempt to capture our next guest's life and her accomplishments would take the space of our whole podcast. We're linking to her full bio in the show notes so that you can go deeper. But I couldn't be more excited to introduce astronaut Sunita Williams. Sunita, who goes by Sunny, was selected as an astronaut by NASA in 1998 and is a veteran of two space missions, Expeditions 1415 and 3233. She is currently training for NASA's Boeing Crew flight test mission, the first flight with astronauts on Boeing's CST-100 Starliner. SUNY is a native of Ohio, a Naval Academy graduate, and also holds her Master's of Science in Engineering Management. In the Navy, SUNY qualified as a diving officer and then changed directions for aviation training. She flew in overseas deployments to the Mediterranean, Red Sea, and the Persian Gulf in support of Desert Shield and Operation Provide Comfort. She later commanded a detachment responsible for Hurricane Andrew relief operations on board the USS Sylvania. SUNY began the Naval Test Pilot School in 1993, serving in numerous billets, both flying and leading units responsible for aircraft testing. She was deployed on board the USS Saipan when she was selected for the astronaut program. SUNY has logged more than 3,000 flight hours in over 30 different aircraft. With NASA, SUNY worked in Moscow with the Russian Space Agency and worked with NASA's robotics branch before heading into space. She served as the flight engineer for Expedition 32 and the International Space Station commander for Expedition 33. Williams has spent a total of 322 days in space on two different missions. She ranks second on the all-time U.S. endurance list for females. With 50 hours and 40 minutes, she is also second on the list of total cumulative spacewalk time by a female astronaut. Well, Sunny, thank you so much for being here on Facing the Wind, season two of The Grit Factor. It's truly an honor to have you here and to have the opportunity to hear about your experiences and your lessons. Cool. I'm psyched to be here with you guys today. The Grid Factor seems pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Made cooler now even more so by you. So, so thank you. Well, I, want, I hope that we can start by you taking us right into space and maybe describe what it feels like physically uh, and mentally to, to launch. 
Sure. Um, you know, I, I've flown on a space shuttle and then my second flight was on a Soyuz and I'm coming up on a uh, new spacecraft called the Starliner. But, you know, the first is always the first, right? So the first leaves the biggest impression on you. And so my shuttle flight was pretty awesome, like walking, tra training leading up to it. It's like, yes, it's real, but no, it's not real. Yes, it's real. No, it's not real. Cause you know, we're in simulators. And then the day of walking up to the spacecraft on the launch pad, you're just like, oh my God, this thing is real. This thing is fueled. It's breathing. Like this thing is huge. I'm going to be sitting at the top of this. Like this is a little scary, <laughs> but um, I tell you, you get back right into your mode of training when you go up the elevator and you're walking out to the spacecraft like, okay, I've done this before. We practice this. You get in your seat, like, okay, I've gone through all this before. I'm, I'm ready. I've trained. I'm, I'm just ready to go. Um, and then, uh, going to space though, <laughs> the actual countdown was sort of funny because we were in the spacecraft. There was three of us who were rookies, rookies on the mid deck of the shuttle sitting together. It didn't even again, seem real. It seemed like a little bit of a simulator, like we practiced before. And then the counts kept going at like 10, nine, like, Oh my God, we are actually really going. And we all just started cracking up. We're like, Holy crap, we're actually going. This is what we trained for. This is what we wanted to do. And then, you know, just getting propelled off the planet, we all burst out, you know, in laughter even more like, yes, we're going. I mean, there's really no stopping it at that point in time. So you're going right. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, the whole process of that, of, uh, you know, the solid rocket boosters falling off and you could feel that vibration cease. And then you're just on a liquid rocket and you're accelerating, accelerating, getting pushed back into your seat. And then finally boop, the engine shut off and you're just floating and your gloves are floating. You know, as soon as you take them off, your helmet is floating. As soon as you take it off, it's a, a little surreal situation. And again, you're just sort of cracking up like, wow, we're here. And you know, that process for most of the rockets that are taking us up to low earth orbit is only about like nine minutes or so nine or 10 minutes. And so it's pretty quick. Sure. Um, a lot, a lot that goes on, you know, in your head and, you know, physically around you. And it's a, it's a hard to keep up. And I say that because, um, I think this happens to my, it happened to myself and I think other people as well. You're just like, this is a crazy world. I'm in, I'm flying around now all of a sudden. Uh, I could fly up to the mid deck. I could see that the earth is round out the window. I mean, this is really cool. Uh, flew back it's not down. Flat. It's not flat. It's not flat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> really to clarify. Uh, flew back down and then I, uh, you know, threw up, you know, cause it's, you know, I think your brain is just like, uh, my brain was a little bit in overload, a lot of sensations and I wasn't taking it easy. I just sort of jumped into it. Um, just with two feet. I knew, you know, I, I probably knew better. People told you like, Hey, just take it easy once you get up there. But you know, you're in the, like a pretty unique environment. And, you know, I think I just wanted to experience it all. But you took off laughing and then you end up throwing up. That's. <laughs> oh yeah. And then, you know, you just wipe it off and, you know, clean up yourself a little bit and get a grip and keep pressing and you have a job to do. And you know, you're, you're going to be fine. You know, we're up there. I was up there my first flight for six and a half months. And so you adapt, you know, you're going to adapt, you know, you'll be fine. You're going to, sure. you're going to get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's, that was just like, my first one, like I said, is, is, um, was impressive, you know, cause I didn't really know what to expect. The sure. second time I went to space, I was ready to get sick and I didn't, I think what really is amazing about the human body is you're able to adapt. I think my body remembered from five years earlier, like, okay, I've been here before. I know what to do. I'm going to be okay. It's a pretty awesome, 
uh, machine we live in here, our, our bodies. So we take care of them. They work pretty good. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. Uh, that, yeah, that's incredible. And so I, I have heard, and, and please, so you can correct this or, or uh, affirm it or, or elaborate, but that in order to get ready for this launch and in order to prepare your mind for the mental stress of it, that you rehearse very, very small tasks like your breakfast and the drive to the launch pad like a hundred times. Is this, is this true? Well, that's a little, maybe a little too much, not my breakfast, your breakfast, but we do, <laughs> you do choose what you're going to want to eat. And I, uh, I, I think I chose smartly. I wanted to choose something that would go down and come up easy. Cause I knew that there was a chance that I might throw up. So, <laughs> so I had tomato soup actually and a grilled cheese sandwich before I left, but we do practice like those physical things that we're going to do, like, um, suiting up in the suit room, getting into the, you know, the vehicle that's going to take you to the launch pad. Part of that is, is timing for the bigger team, not only for us, but there's a whole team that's involved, the launch team, as well as the on-orbit team here in Mission Control. And sure. so they have to practice their handovers and interact. You know, it's a little easier when there's not a the pesky human involved, when they could just launch a rocket, you know, they don't have to worry about that how long it takes somebody to get loaded, how long it, you know, making sure all their gloves fit, everything's connected correctly. So we go through that, you know, a number of times, I would say really a handful, maybe about five times to make sure all that timing is set, particularly for this international space station missions, because the launch window is so short. You don't really have a lot of time baked into the timeline to work issues. And so you want to make sure everything is bum, bum, bum set and it's ready to go. Yeah. I imagine the tolerance for air is, uh, is pretty slim. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, practice, so, practice. Yeah, yeah. Well, going back to the to, to a little bit of the feeling of this, and I, I want to get into then once when you are in space, a couple of the ideas around uh, working with people in such a, a confined environment. But um, but maybe to, before we get into the relationship piece, what is it? <laughs> what's it feel like to be on a spacewalk? I mean, you were you were the the astronaut with the the most hours logged as a spacewalker. Is that right? I don't know yeah. if you for, for for a period of time, but now more people are are going. So that's sure. that's progress. We want more and more people to get out there and, and have that experience to pass that on to next generation. But yeah, I, I, I was pretty lucky. I, um, my first flight was in the middle of the construction of the space station. So we had to go out and do spacewalks to put this thing together. So uh, I had four spacewalks on my first flight. And that's, again, a pretty surreal, I would say, once again, the first one is always the most like, whoa, you know, because you go out the door. Um, when I when we went out on our, my first spacewalk, it was dark. And so you really couldn't see much beside for what's on your head, headlamps right here. We practiced this quite a bit in the pool, too. Like for every spacewalk during the construction of the space station, I think we practiced like five times to make sure we had it down because the timeline again was pretty tight. Um, and so I knew just by like feeling where I was going to go, I knew exactly where I was going to go, what I was going to do already, you know, practice in my head a number of times. Um, so I'm moving around and then all of a sudden the sun came up and it was like, Whoa, you know, then you could actually see the planet below you and how it's turning and, and how you're moving across it and clouds. And I was like, this is a little bit crazy. Hold on a little bit tighter. Make sure you don't let go. You snap back into like work again because, okay, I have a finite amount of time out here. I have so much, um, you know, O2 oxygen and carbon dioxide removal. I got to get moving and do my job. So you just press, do your job. And there's always those moments though, when you take a break or you're waiting for your partner to get someplace or, you know, we're coordinating with the ground where you just stop and like, look and just go like, wow, this is pretty awesome. I'm flying 
formation with the space station at 17,500 miles an hour out here. It's pretty awesome. Oh my gosh. What, and I actually, before we get into the next piece, because that that is just incredible, but um, I I kind of want to take a Krista Tippett approach to this and ask you like what, what your background was maybe, uh, uh, and I don't, whether it's faith or, or, or philosophy, philosophical perspective on, on life and how that shifted or, or, or maybe didn't yeah. shift. You know, it was interesting when I first got here, um, I'm a helicopter pilot. We always, I'm a Navy helicopter pilot. We always went out in a uh, aircraft of two, you know, maybe all over the battle group, somebody doing one thing, somebody doing another thing, but you're always in touch with the other guy, making sure you knew where the other person was in yes. case they needed a, a rescue or whatever. So you're always communicating. And the first time I got into the neutral buoyancy lab, which, which is the big pool where we practice spacewalks, you go out as two and, you know, it just like clicked in my mind. I'm like, oh my God, this is just like, like how I deployed. It was like, where are you? Just making sure you knew where the other guy was. You knew what the other guy's tasks were. So you, in case you had to get over there and help them, it seemed like it really connected. So on that um, very technical engineering portion of my life was easy. It seemed like an easy transfer to what we do in space. Mine has shifted a little bit because, you know, being in the military is one thing. Everybody has that job, but being in, uh, involved in space exploration is a whole different thing. You know, I feel like what we're doing, sometimes folks ask, is it worth it? You know, we're spending a lot of money putting people in space and you start to look at the more esoteric benefits of it about, how many in my time here, about 20 years, how many new kids coming from college who are so interested in space, getting involved in the Artemis program, getting really pumped up um, and learning, you know, learning all that stuff in school and coming here and transferring that information into this, which is a very peaceful endeavor, you know, space exploration. Uh, I also look at it like the International Space Station, the, uh, the joint work between so many countries to make all that happen. The engagement we can have with other countries, we have astronauts from the UAE now in the astronaut corps. I mean, that's, these are huge steps on just sharing and understanding each other. I think the military, we do that too. When we deploy, we go overseas, but this is a different, you can, you can see the change of the, of the role, the purpose quite a bit. And the exploration is, is pretty universal. And I think everybody really wants to get, be part of it. And that's how, in my mind, we should philosophically leave the planet as yeah. human beings, not somebody from one country or the other. We're actually all in this together. Sure. It, it rang so true when you're up in space and you look down and you see like, holy moly, that's our only planet. That's it. That's yes. where we all live. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it, it dawns on you. Um, so just to answer your question, I think philosophically, my, my mind has turned in that direction where like, we all need to work together. We all need to cooperate. We all yes. need to hold onto this planet, keep it safe and explore together. That's, that's beautiful. I, you know, it's, um, it is amazing to see how all of the different countries come together, whatever the governments are discussing or agreeing with or right. not agreeing with. You all are focused on a common purpose, right? And a common goal, which is so powerful and breaking down barriers, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but regardless of the country, it does seem uh, that where people come from, regardless of what those issues might be, it still seems to me, and I, I guess I get claustrophobic a bit, but do, do you ever <laughs> feel like you just need your own space or your own time? And, and, and how does it work to be six months up in a very small space with a group of people? 
Right. Um, I mean, the space station's pretty big, so let's let's make okay. sure we know that, right? right? The, the space station is like the size of an airplane. Um, you know, like if you're in that tube, some might think of it like, oh gosh, it's just a little tube, but there is space. And think about any room that you're in and how much room above you that we don't use. Uh, um, sure. And that's why that's why it's a little shorter. I mean, there'd be unusable space in this room that I'm sitting in right now. So we don't, we don't need all that space. You need space to work on. You need space to, so that you can grab something and, and move yourself along, transport yourself along and things like that. It doesn't really feel that small, but to address your question, you know, because you're, you're with a finite group of people for a, quite some time and, you know, everybody can get on everybody's nerves. And so you, you need some coping strategies there, right? So we um, all go to National Outdoor Leadership School. Oh. At some point in our time here, maybe it's the very beginning when you're starting out as an astronaut candidate, affectionately known as an ASCAN, um, <laughs> they sort of get in the, in, the, in the groove. And then later on, if you're um, assigned to a crew, hopefully your whole crew will go to Knowles together as well. You know, know part that. of that is just learning about you, yourself. You right. can't change other people, but learning about yourself, what makes, what makes you tick, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what pisses you off, you know, sure. those type of things. Am I a hangry type of person? Do I need sleep? You know, what, what is it about me? And then being able to potentially verbalize that or other people who on the trip with you would understand that as well. Just knowing that much about people and maybe potentially their families as well. This time you get a chance, you know, we train for, you know, a year or so or two years together. So you get to know a little bit about people's family and what other stressors are out there. Uh, so you can appreciate that and give people a little space just mentally as well as physically. We have crew quarters up on the International Space Station. If somebody wants to just hang out in their crew quarters and we have a computer in there, right? And write emails or make a phone call back home. You know, you don't needle somebody, you don't bug them, let them have their time. We really try that the weekend is like that. We clean the space station on a Saturday, have maybe a couple experiments or something, but Sunday, generally we try to sleep in and or if you want to, or I, I'm a morning person. So I would get up and everybody would be sleeping and it was sort of creepy to fly around there and nobody's awake, but the lights <laughs> on above the bathroom and quietly make your cup of coffee, you know, <laughs> and just hang out and look out the window. And, you know, it's, there's, there's definitely some times that you can, you can get your, your alone time. Um, I think it's, we have a great office where people try to learn and understand about each other. Um, you know, some people who are very extroverted, they get energy off of other people. So you, you end up knowing who those people are. And then people who are introverted, they get energy sometimes when they're, you know, can have their own alone time. So you, you understand that about each other by the time you go fly and you yeah. can make physical and mental space for each other. If you're inspired to go further in your own journey of grit and resilience, leadership and purpose, Make sure you have your copy of The Grit Factor, Courage, Resilience, and Leadership in the Most Male-Dominated Organization in the World, available anywhere books are sold. And invest in yourself and your team with courses at The Grit Institute. More information at www.thegritinstitute.com. I remember during the lockdown that people mentioned that we should take our cues from astronauts <laughs> and learn, how, you know, how it is that, that you you yeah. cope in, in an environment like that. And I feel like these are some really thoughtful and, and empathetic ways of approaching working with others, in this case, in a confined environment, right, where you may be right. in your home with your family. And that can that can wear as well, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Have you found that uh, that people are asking and, and making connections with uh, with your work to? Yeah, yeah, 
Experience. Actually, like the first the first year of COVID, I, I think I did another interview about this particular subject and I hadn't really put the two together until I was asked about it. But it really does make sense. Right. You're in a place where somebody else can't be there who maybe you'd like to see. So you have to figure out other ways to communicate. Right. With it being like we all came up to, you know, started doing all the Zoom stuff. Right. So you can actually see people. And we do the same type of thing on the space station. We make phone calls. And I think being very intentional about staying connected and making sure you stay connected with the people that you really want to generate those relationships with and not like when we can go and visit somebody, it's Oh, I'll see you, you know, like on Saturday and I don't have to take the time or think about when or how I'm going to connect with that person. But being on the space station, we did. Um, And, and, and this is the same thing we had during COVID. Like, how are you going to connect and how are you going to use your time in, in a, a, potentially a different way, right? There's things that we used to do all the time, go out to eat, go to a movie, but maybe now we're doing something else, reading a book. When I was up in space, I wrote a journal and I I don't do it as much as on earth as I should because that experience was so powerful to me. I came back and I read my journal. I was like, wow, it was actually pretty insightful. I was out there, you know, maybe I should do this on earth, but we don't have time for that, right? So maybe those are, those are other like coping strategies on during covid write a journal, you know, think, write down your thoughts because this time frame might only be finite. You know, this is a very unique time. You probably have some very interesting emotions uh, about what your situation is. For me, it was like looking at the planet, um, you know, doing science experiments, just thinking about the world in that manner. And, and then later on, you can reflect on it when you have, when you go back to your normal life and it, it, it will add another layer of maturity and insight, I think, to everybody. So there's I think there was some good to COVID, you know, in, in that regard. And there was there's good. There was good for me for going to space it allowed me to mature a little bit more. Well, I, you know, the two things that you said really, really stand out. The first is I think journaling for any of us at any time, especially in times that are intensely challenging or difficult or, or different. Right. Is it yeah. is an important way to. Um, to discover insights and and to process those challenging feelings. So I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up, and I want to I want to hear your favorite insight in just a moment. But the second thing is that the 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 way that we are working now in in sometimes in very hybrid environments, sometimes still remote environments, these points of you have to be intentional about how it is that you connect, when you connect, where you connect, how you connect, what you do when you connect. I think those are things that that a lot of managers and leaders are struggling with today and and trying to start to define. What what stands out for you as things that were particularly useful um, in in thinking through the way that we connect meaningfully? Right. Um... Uh, I, you know, I was talking about the journal and I would, I made my journal very um, repetitive in so far as each, each week I talked about like where, what things we flew over, uh, what, uh, and what, so what I saw at the window, essentially what experiments we're doing, what type of creative food I was making up there. You know, there was five things. I can't remember the last two off the top of my head, but it made me very rigorous about that. And I didn't realize the connection it would have. I sent it out every Sunday okay. and people on Monday was like the newspaper would read it. And then I would oh. get these, like, then I would get some messages back about it at some, Oh, another thing that dragged people in as I, I gave them a quiz, like, where is this over the planet or something like that? Some type of little quiz that would make people try to answer back. Not that I needed that attention and stuff like that, but it got people connected. That was a really powerful event for me. I didn't, I didn't realize that. 
as I was going into it, I was like, okay, this is a little bit of a job doing this journal um, yes. for my own self, but it, it, I was able to share that and I was able to bring people along. I think that was, that was pretty cool. Like, not like, although that, I went to the launch, I saw that person, they flew and then they came back and yay, that was cool. It was like, they really spent the whole mission with me because every week I was able to discuss like what happened the, the, in the follow in the pre preceding week. Right. And bring the, and I, and I was really lucky. I had a great, well, I shouldn't say that we have great people. So not lucky, but great people that I flew with and they were also really involved with it and really wanted to be part of it. Um, and, and share. So I think that part of just sharing what you're doing, if it's unique, I think is really important. Even if you think it's not unique, sharing what you're doing with your family and friends who just don't have that same frame of reference, I think is really important. They can understand where you're coming from, understand what you're doing. And I think it's really, really powerful. That's, that's fantastic. And, you know, one of the things that we're starting to talk a lot more about in terms of workplaces is a, an empathetic approach, as well as, as ensuring that we are connecting regularly, connecting meaningfully, and also approaching people and employees and bosses and, and colleagues with empathy. And I, what do you think about that, especially coming from, and I was Army Aviation as well, so the military uh, is one is one thing, right? And then going into a different world where, um, and I think the military is adjusting as well, but uh, how do you think about this new, somewhat new emphasis on empathy in terms of, of working relationships? I think if you, to have the capacity, you need to be able to be uh, confident in the work that you're doing to have that capacity to help others. And I think as yes. leaders, if you're the, you know, the, the commander of the space station or the chief of the office or running an organization, um, I would hope that, you ha that those people have the capacity to understand that there's other people that are working for them and, and with them, you know, in, in collaborating and, and having that capacity to have empathy. So taking a moment to understand other people's situations. Yes. Um, I think is, is really useful because then you are not, that's more productive because then you could potentially help that person solve that problem. And if you can't help them solve it, at least give them space to be able to work through it and solve it. And then sure. they, you know, or they know that, or you know that they're going to give you their best when they come back and they're able to deal with the situation, you have dealt with it and come back to, to, to work. So I think there's so much return on investment by just getting to know your people, getting to understand them. Like I mentioned already, it's like, that was one of the benefits. People go, oh gosh, you trained for two years. I'm like, yeah, but the side benefit is you really got to know those people. You really got to know about them. And then you could just inherently understand when they actually needed a little bit of time or they needed a little bit of help. Trust, I think, comes out of that yes. hugely. People understand that, like, wow, I can come to my my boss or my co coworker and tell them that I need a little bit of time, and they're gonna they're gonna give it to them because they they you trust with each other. Sure, sure. I'm really grateful that you brought that up because trust is a really yeah. big factor in in yeah. a functional team, right? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Especially a highly functional team. Well, with somebody with a resume like yours, it, it seems that there's there's no failure at all. But I know that any journey like yours also comes with failure. Um, so, will you share a time when you when you failed and and what that felt like and how it is that you were able to push through that? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm mean, starting back from when I was, uh, you know, 
I, I was a pretty good student in high school. I'll just say that. And, uh, and I thought like the doors are just going to open for me. Cause I'm a, you know, a, a student athlete, I'm a swimmer, you know, I, I can, you know, I'm a runner, uh, I'm getting good grades. I'm going to get into all the colleges that I ever wanted to. And I didn't. Um, so ended up going into, uh, the military because I, got into the Naval Academy. I didn't get into the ones that I thought I was going to be. I wanted to be a veterinarian. I thought I had to go to Tufts or Harvard and nope, that didn't happen. So that door seemed to me at 17, like slam closed and then I'm done. Now, now what am I going to do? I, I didn't know really anything about the military. Um, like I mentioned, I was a swimmer, so I wanted to be a diver. Uh, that billet, there was only one billet for women at the time and that got taken. And then I was like, oh no, now what am I going to do? <laughs> luckily Top Gun came out the first one and uh, I was like, okay, aviation would be sort of cool. So that's how I picked aviation. Um, you know, so those seem very trivial, but I, I, when I'm talking to, you know, like high school kids or college kids, sure. they need to know they're going to not potentially not get every single thing that they think that they're going to get. Right. So, but that's okay. You make the best of those situations. You learn from them. You try your hardest, even though it might be the, not the thing that you wanted and other doors will open. And the door that opened for me was test pilot school. And then I, I got into uh, NASA because I learned about NASA. I never knew anything about NASA before I was a, a tester and then came down and, and saw what they did. And I was like, wow, that dawned on me. Like, this is not so removed from what I'm doing right now. It's actually almost the same. It's testing airplanes versus testing spacecraft. So maybe uh, those people aren't too, you know, so far away from me. Maybe I could be one of those one day. So, you know, those are the types of doors that open. Um, being here at NASA, it's, it's hard work too. Like we um, training in the pool to do a spacewalk suits like 300 pounds. I'm not the hugest guy in the world. Um, you're underwater. It's a balloon. You know, it doesn't really weigh anything in space, but it is a little bit difficult to move around. Uh, you need to work out. You need to make yourself ready. You know, as a friend of mine, you say, get to the starting line. You need to make yourself ready for those challenges. Sure. They're hard. You know, we, I think all of us have gone through one of those runs when people were like, Ooh, that was bad. You need, <laughs> you need to work on that. And that's, that has definitely happened and it carries, but those are really good lessons and those feelings of humility, like, wow, I need, need to work on that. That was really hard. It might not, that piece of it, that weight might not be the thing that's going to be hard in space, but something else is. My very first spacewalk, I lost a camera, very expensive <laughs> camera was on my, um, what's it called? Mini workstation, our tool belt on the side. And I was turning um, to get into a foot restraint and it popped off my, the side of my uh, workstation. The guy inside the shuttle goes, oh, Sonny, is your tether, is your camera tethered? And I look up and I see it floating toward the solar array. I'm like, oh, you know, like that was like hour two of a six hour space hawk. And I was just like devastated. I just lost a huge piece of equipment, um, expensive I was praying it wasn't going to hit the solar array and it didn't. It just went off into space. But then, you know, you have, you're out there, you have four more hours, you have a lot of tasks to go, you know, it's not over with, you got to get up over that hurdle, just, you know, brush it off, right. no harm, no foul. You know, I, I lost it. It's done. We'll talk about it later, but I got a task to do. So just get on your horse and get moving. Right. Sure. And um, that's hard. That's not yeah. simple. Sometimes when you fail, you want to just sit down and cry. You, you know, is that the most productive thing to do right then and there? You know, in that case, absolutely not. Right. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Sure. You got a job to do. We'll talk about it later. Um, and, and I don't mean to mean like, you know, talk like it's so hard to ask. It's not. But that's the reality of the situation. Right. You got to you got, just got to move on. 
And yeah. so I don't think that those like people are like, oh, that must have been tough. It was tough mentally, You, but I have no choice, right? You build yourself up to that with the training that you do in the pool where it's heavy and hard. You made a mistake. Someone comes and tells you or, you know, on the loops where you hear and you're, you know, that was not so good. Or when you come back up and you do your and they'd say this and that wasn't so good. And you, you take all those, those events internally and you just go, okay, I can make myself better, right? I'm going to be better from this. It allows you to handle situations in the real world just fine. That's excellent advice. And it is hard earned advice. And it is a decision I think you have to make, right? Every time you hit that point of failure or discouragement is make that decision to continue to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you've had the same, same type of scenarios in the, you know, in, in the flying world, it's, it's littered with examples like that. People make mistakes, but you don't have really have the time to just sit around and mull about it. You come back and talk about it later. Yes. Yes. No, absolutely. And that, that seems to be true in all of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what if you, um, one last question is um, you, I think I read that you brought a samosa up into space. Is that right? And then, oh, yeah. And another pastry from the other side of your family? Uh, Slovenian, yeah. Yeah, pizza. So I wanted to bring the pizza. It's too nutty. I didn't get to take it. It was my, like my favorite thing. The samosa is actually I mean, nutty, meaning it's well, too crinkly. Everything will fall apart. But the samosa, somebody sent them up. My family sent up a care package and I had them in there. And I, it was such a, it was so cool to see those. I was like so uh, happy that we got a little bit of that Indian spice. I, I'm half Indian, half Slovenian. So um, I, my family likes spicy food and, and fun foods like that. So samosa is absolutely one of my favorites. Like I said, I didn't think they were going to make it up there because it has puffy type puffy pastry, sure. but they were small enough so you could eat them all together. And so then you didn't have to worry about crumbs going everywhere. <laughs> so, so how have you seen the importance of being representing two different cultures and as well as representing women? I know that there are more women now going to space, but, but all of them are relatively new, uh, new opportunities. How have you seen that as being important? You know, it's funny because I think I've just put my head down and gone, right? So just yes. do your job, do the best that you can do and, you know, and just do what everybody else is doing. Um, but since I've come back from space and I've had the opportunity to go to India, go to Slovenia, you know, talk to, uh, you know, women at the Naval Academy, for example, and, and then all of a sudden it like dawns on you like, wow, it is a big deal for a lot of people, right? Not, it's not only about me, it's about representing all these people and showing them that that opportunity is available for them. So it's really humbling. Like I get a little choked up thinking about it and talking about it, but yeah. I feel that it's really important. And those are the things that we need to do to show, do, do my best job to show those, any of the people who are, have anything that's related to me, uh, you know, as a woman, as an Indian, as a Slovenian, as an American, Sure. Um, as, as a kid from Needham, Massachusetts, you can do this. You know, it's not unobtainable. It's, it's there for you if you want it. That's such an important and inspiring message. I, I know a lot of people will look at you and they look at, at uh, the incredible success that you've had and think, oh, well, that's just her. And I, it's not something that I can do. So I really appreciate you sharing those stories where you do have to push through failure, right? You do have to make that decision and put your head down and keep working forward. And I know yep. there are a lot of people who will really appreciate that and uh, be able to apply that to their work that they do as well. So thank you for your work and awesome. for your example. Awesome. Well, I'm in good company. head over to your favorite podcasting platform and hit subscribe then go over to youtube and hit subscribe as well we'll be posting the uncut interviews over at youtube and of course follow along at shannon h polson and the grit institute on instagram and at linkedin 
I can't wait to see you for this season. You don't want to miss a single episode. And make sure to download your free copy of The Grit Factor Manifesto at www.thegritinstitute.com forward slash manifesto.